through the Gospel of Luke as we come to our sermon passage this morning. If you have a Bible, grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, the passage of Scripture should be printed in your bulletin this morning. You can simply read along there. This passage of Scripture focuses particularly and specifically upon the ministry of John the Baptist. So hear God's word this morning. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to him all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Let's pray. O Lord, in your word you declare that the question is not my word like fire. Is not my word like a hammer which shatters the rock. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come this morning and our hearts like fire purify us. Sanctify us today, we pray. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would come like a hammer. Shattering the stubbornness and the pride within us so that we might be like soft clay molded and shaped into the likeness of your Son and our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The hand that's meant to make another clean must be clean itself. St. Gregory said that. Imagine that you saw an eyelash on someone's cheek and you went to rub the eyelash off of their cheek, but as you went to do so, your hand was covered in sand or mud. What would happen? It would end up causing far more harm than good, wouldn't it? Because the hand that tries to make another hand clean must be clean itself. Why do I share that with you this morning? Because as I come to this passage this morning, I realize 
that I probably need to hear this passage far more than you do. And before I come to you to point out things that maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life, it's equally as important, it might be even more important, that I allow this passage to do its work in my own heart. First, the great theologian John Owen said this, that no man preaches a sermon well to others if he has not first preached it to himself. So what is the message that we need to hear this morning from this passage? We are to live our lives with a Christ-centered focus. We are to live our lives with a Christ-centered focus. That's what we see happening in the life of John the Baptist. That John the Baptist's entire life and his entire ministry was all about magnifying Jesus, exalting Jesus above everyone and everything, even himself. That was the goal of John the Baptist. That should be the goal in my life. That should be the goal in your life. But if that's going to be our task, there's some changes that the Holy Spirit's going to need to do in our hearts. Is your life characterized by a Christ-centered focus in everything? Can I share with you some of the areas where I struggle? Being a Presbyterian minister, we pride ourselves in education. And there can be a tendency, even as a minister is training for gospel ministry, to become prideful and arrogant about how much education he has and how well he's doing in his pursuit of that education. So a minister has to struggle with whether or not he's living his life with a Christ-centered focus, even as he's training for the ministry. I struggle with reputation. Certainly I want to live a life that honors God, but am I doing it really for Christ's honor and Christ's sake, or am I doing it just so no one in Bartow can say anything excessively negative about me? Notice I said excessively negative about me. I want to be a realist. I struggle with what every other minister struggles with, that I'm, my time here with you will be judged by numbers, nickels, and noses. How much money's in the offering plate, how the budget is going, and how many n- new faces we see in the pews, and how many those that have been long-term members are returning here. And so when I make that the focus of my life, you can imagine that it's easy for me to get off track for my focus not to be all about Christ, but to be all about me and what I'm doing and what you see. What about in your life? What are the things that get you off track from living a Christ-centered life? Maybe it's your education pursuits. By nature, college is a very selfish time as you're preparing for your future vocation. But should it crowd out your relationship with Jesus? For some of you, it is your vocation. For some of you, what is struggles uh, to be the first place in your life is your job, is your occupation. Because we live in a day and age where you can be easily replaced 
And companies and organizations have no problem letting you know that you're easily replaced. And it's very easy for us to get off focus in our walk with Christ because our vocation, our occupation struggles and demands and fights to be first place in our life. Can I not be ugly but be honest? You know what I see fighting for much of your attention and time? It's your areas of recreation. The demands that the school puts on your children with the athletic pursuits that they enjoy. I say this not to be ugly, but to be honest, I wonder how different your life would be. I wonder how different our church would be. I wonder how different our community would be if we put the same kind of intentional effort and repeated concerted attention into our walk with Christ that we put into our recreation and our recreational pursuits. And if I've got one finger pointing at you, I've got three more pointing back at me. John the Baptist lived with a Christ-centered focus. His life was a billboard sign for Jesus Christ. It was all about pointing others to Jesus. If that's going to be the the, the pursuit of our life, then there's going to be some changes that need to take place in my life and in your life. If we live with a Christ-centered focus, here are some of the changes that we'll see. We'll take a look at three changes that you'll see in your life. The first change you'll see in your life, if you make Christ the central focus of your life, is this. It will change your position in life. It will change your position in life. No longer will you be concerned about being the superior in the room. Instead, you'll be concerned about being the greatest servant in the room. That's what we see happening in the life of John the Baptist. Look at verses 15 through 16. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. See, here's what's happening. John the ministry had become the talk of the town. You get up in the mornings, and in our community, we hear roosters crow. I don't know who in our, in our, in our neighborhood has bought roosters, but someone has bought a rooster, and I'm going to find it. And we're not taping this, and I'm going to kill that thing, okay? Okay? The rooster crows early in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to keep Jack shut up so no one will complain about the, the preacher at Bartow having a dog that barks at 5 a.m., and we've got a stinking rooster in our neighborhood, Okay? Just as that rooster is now the talk of our neighborhood, John the Baptist was the talk of the town in the first century. And the question was this, many people are coming out to hear him preach, they're being baptized, they're repenting of their sins. Could he be the Messiah? And in the original language, they are saying he probably is the Messiah, and they are hoping that he is the Messiah. But notice the position of John the Baptist's life. He says, no, I'm just a billboard. There is one who is coming that is stronger than I, that is stronger than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. By the way, that would have been the most demeaning task for a disciple to do for his rabbi, is to kneel down to untie 
his sandals. That's why you see Peter and the disciples going bonkers when Jesus kneels down and washes their feet later on before they celebrate the Passover together. What's the position of John the Baptist's life? He hasn't come to be superior. He's come to be a servant. Essentially, he's saying, my life is a billboard sign. I'm here to simply point you to Jesus. Friends, that should be the goal of my life. As a minister, I should not be about trying to bring attention to myself and showing you about how great I am or how educated I am or how much I know about the Bible or how much further down the road supposedly I am in my walk with Jesus than you. But rather, my job is just to be a billboard sign for Jesus. Ministers come and go. Billboard signs are replaced. But we point to the same Jesus. It was very encouraging to me when I was struggling with my call here. I sensed the call here uh, long before I interviewed with the, with the search committee. I went back and I reviewed uh, Rob Patrick's last Sunday here. And I didn't get to his sermon because his children's sermon was for me. And what Rob said in his children's sermon was this. He told the kids that eventually they would have a new pastor and he would might look different than him, not be, maybe not be as tall or as handsome or as dark as him, right? But he said this, but he'll point you to the same Jesus. And that was the affirmation of God's call on my life here to Bartow is I thought, you know what? I'm not as tall, dark, and handsome as Rob. I'm not as eloquent as Rob, but you know what I can do? I can point you to the same Jesus. That's the life and the goal of every minister, and that should be the life and the goal of every follower of Jesus Christ. We are to be billboard signs for Jesus, pointing one another to Jesus Christ. Evie Hill was a pastor of the Mount Zion Missionary Church in Los Angeles, California. And Evie Hill tells a story that there was a member of their church. That's me. Sorry about that. Or maybe something great's about ready to happen. <laughs> there was a member of their church that was nicknamed 1800. The reason that she was nicknamed 1800 is that she was so old, no one in the church knew how old she was. But Evie Hill would have to warn people about 1800 before they came to preach at his church. 1800 would sit near the front of the church, guest preaching, whenever she sensed that they had not gotten to Jesus soon enough in the sermon, or they were not making enough about Jesus in the sermon, then she would speak up, and she would say, get him up. Of course, you can imagine the guest preacher would think, that was a little bit of an odd comment, and so he would keep on preaching. But if she sensed that they had not exalted Christ soon enough or enough, she would say again, get him up. That should be the Holy Spirit's prick of our conscience in our life every day. As we go about the course of our day, we should hear the Holy Spirit say, Get him up. Get him up. Tanner, this church isn't about you. It's not about you trying to show how excellent you are. Your job is to exalt Jesus Christ. As you go about your, your day and your work, you should hear the Holy Spirit whisper to you, get him up. 
The Bible says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. As you pursue your studies and you wrestle with things that you're learning, you should hear the Holy Spirit say, get them up. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ, your Lord. As you're enjoying your areas of recreation, you should hear the Holy Spirit say, get him up. This means of recreation should be enjoyable in your life, but it should not become an idol in your life. This means of recreation and, and should be fun, but it shouldn't become everything in your life. Because when you take a good thing and make it everything, or the, take a good thing and make it the most important thing, you've just exalted a good thing to the place of an idol. And so you and I should hear the Holy Spirit all throughout the week say, get him up. Because a life that's centered on, focused on Jesus Christ will live with a particular position in your life that you are one of a servant. That you go into the situation even with your family and your friends not feeling that you need to be the Messiah and fix everything but rather you're simply a messenger. You're simply a billboard sign pointing them to Jesus. That's the first change we should see as we center on focusing our lives on Jesus Christ is that our lives are changed in the position that we hold. We're not superiors, but we're servants of the Lord. The second change we should see is you should change, you should change your expectations in life. It concerns me and haunts me what we read in verses 18 through 20. It says, So with many other exhortations, John the Baptist preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now wouldn't you expect... The man that Jesus calls the greatest man that's ever lived on the earth other than himself to enjoy a good life. But notice what happens to John the Baptist. He's faithful to God. He preaches the gospel purely and faithfully. And where does he end up? In prison. We know from the other gospel, we know later in the gospel, John the Baptist gets beheaded. You would think a life centered on Jesus Christ would be a life that's free of hostility, enjoying peace and tranquility. But that isn't what Jesus promised you here. He promises you holiness, not happiness. He promises you a relationship with him not a life free of trouble. John the Baptist preached the gospel so faithfully that he convicted Herod. Here's what Herod had done. Herod had actually married his half-brother's wife. Yes, you heard that correctly. 
So he committed adultery and incest in the family. And you know what John the Baptist did? He did what any good prophet would do. He called him out on it. There are all kinds of evil things that Herod did. But it says here in the verse 20 that what Herod added to all the evil things that he had done is that now he locked up John in prison and he'll have John beheaded. Why is that important for me and you? If you're going to live your life focused on Jesus, then you need to change your expectations about what your life is going to look like with Jesus. It is not going to be all hunky-dory, fun, and fancy-free. In fact, your life is probably going to get far more difficult because you're trying to follow Jesus. We've been blessed as a church to have many people baptized here recently. We're going to have some more baptisms in, in the weeks to come. And what I've tried to encourage those individuals with is this, that now they have a target on their back and now they have a target on their chest because Satan is angry. The officers of this church should know that they have targets on their chest and on their backs as well. I have a target on my chest because when people come to faith in Christ, guess what happens? Satan gets angry. Because suddenly you've messed around his bushes and he doesn't like what he's seeing. So as a church and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to expect hostility in your life if you're following Jesus. The life and the ministry of John Wycliffe. John is called the morning star affirmation because he believed that God's people needed to have the, the scriptures translated into their native tongue. We call it the vulgar tongue. And so John had the Vulgate translated into English. So many people came to genuine saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they could read the scriptures for themselves. The ladies in the sanctuary will be happy to know that John was very concerned that the women be able to read the scriptures for themselves rather than just, just always having a man tell they should believe or how they should live. But do you know what they did to John after he died? He was so that 43 years after his death they dug up his bones burned them to ashes and spread them in the river (laughs) and you think you've had a bad day There's no doubt John Wycliffe's life was focused on Jesus Christ. And you would expect someone's life so focused on Christ would have a life filled with joy, which it was, but it wasn't free of trouble. So church, we need to be honest with one another and we need to have Biblical expectations of a life lived for Jesus Christ. Expect hostility for serving Jesus. Jesus himself said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before 
it hated you. I've titled this sermon, Billboards at a Crossroads. Know this, that if you seek to live your life for Christ and focused on Him, some days you'll feel like that the crowd and the culture are throwing tomatoes at you, and some days you'll feel like they're throwing knives at you. But no, it's far better to have some stains and wounds and be in the service of Christ's kingdom than to not be in Christ's kingdom. Which brings us to the final change we see in a life that's lived in pursuit of Jesus Christ. It changes the destination of your life. Look at verses 16 through 18. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What is John the Baptist preaching? He's preaching the gospel that there's bad news and good news to it. The bad news is this. There are many people in the church that think they're walking with Christ and they're not. And on judgment day, God is going to rat them out. There are only two destinations you can have at the end of your life. It can either be heaven or it can be hell. And the imagery here is of wheat that was being harvested that would be taken to the threshing floor. And what would happen is that they would, they would crush the wheat. And then they would take a special uh, fork that would then throw the wheat up in the air and the wind would carry away the chaff. They would take the wheat and they would gather it and they would put it into the barns that then would be used to nourish their souls, nourish their bodies rather. And then the chaff would be gathered and would be thrown into a fire. It's obvious that John the Baptist is using this imagery of what's going to happen on judgment day. That those that are truly following Christ, that are truly in a relationship with Christ, will be like the wheat that is gathered into the barn and taken into God's uh, home and heavenly dwelling forever. But those that are not walking with Christ, those that do not belong to Christ, will be, ta- be like the chaff that will be gathered together and burned. What is John the Baptist telling us? There are only two destinations in life. Two ultimate destinations is either heaven or hell. And he's asking them, which, which way are you headed? He does a play on the word fire in verse 16. He says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a lot of debate around scholars about scholars over the, the use of the word fire in verse 16. Does he mean judgment? Or does he mean a a fire that will purify and sanctify? There's no doubt in verse 17 that the word fire there is, the idea of burning there is as a picture of God's judgment and God's wrath. But know that the Holy Spirit comes to convict and to purify you. To mold you and make you more to the image and likeness of his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This past week, one of my childhood heroes died. 
Eddie Van Halen. I grew up uh, trying to learn every guitar lick and trick that Eddie Van Halen invented. I was in a Bible study here at the church when I started getting text messages from friends, members of the church, and even some friends from junior high and high school offering me their condolences that my childhood hero had died. I knew he had, he had cancer. I knew he probably wouldn't live much longer based on some articles I'd read about him recently. So you're kind of sad to see a childhood hero die. But then it dawned on me. Here's a man that was extremely talented who changed the way the guitar has been played ever since then. He's changed the way the guitar has been manufactured by companies. Revolutionized a whole genre of music. And yet, though his worth is in the millions, when he breathed his last breath, he stood before God. And there were only one of two destinations for him. Heaven or hell. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As a friend texted me and said, the king is dead. I had to think to myself, no, he isn't. Because the king of kings is alive and well. Friends, where are you headed? There are only one of two destinations. Will it be with Jesus? Or will it not be? A life that's focused on Jesus knows that the ultimate destination they will inhabit will be with him. And so every single one of us that follows Christ is like a billboard sign at a crossroads. And we need to encourage those that we know and love to avoid the dead-end street that leads to destruction. And point them to the good way that leads to the good shepherd. That leads to the king of kings and eternal life with him. Let's pray. Almighty God, please purify my heart today. Purify my mind and my desires with your Spirit's fire. 
I know that you're supposed to be the most important one in my life. But I don't live that way. So may your spirit use your word this morning to shatter my pride. Melt my heart so that it flows in accordance to the banks of your purpose and providence. And mold me like clay in the hands of your Son and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And as the daily struggles and temptations of life beat on me and beat on us, as to cause your focus to fade in my eyes, May your word, may the Lord's Supper, may my time in prayer with you replenish your beauty and your appearance in my eyes so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of your glory and your grace revealed in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people agreed saying, amen.